So, Brett, I just wanted to share something with all the listeners. Oh, no, don't. Oh, actually, they can't see it anyway. So no, they can't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thanks, Brett. But, you, you know, all, all your years in the, in the rock and music industry in Australia, um, you've come across some very interesting characters, yeah? Sure have, George. Lots. Lots. And, you know, you even, even one of your band members, uh, Peter Travis, who we interviewed recently, yep. uh, he's the walking encyclopedia on the history of... All things, All things music. Music, 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 fashion, music, art, music, pop. Right, right. So what I wanted to tell tell our listeners is that uh, we, we're, we're about ready to launch a sideline Float Your Boat podcast, which is... Float Your Boat rocks, so rocks, 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 rocks. <laughs> so what's it, what's it going to be about? Well, it, it, it's going to be about the behind the scenes of music, not just interviews with with band members or singers or famous people. Because mm, they've been done to death. Yeah, we, we want to get right, right behind the scenes to the roots of music, fashion, art, you know, subcultures, anything to do with music. I think that's, uh, that's quite exciting, certainly for, for someone who listens to a lot of music, um, knowing the history and the background and, and all the things that went with it uh, would be very exciting. So if you love Float Your Boat, you're going to love Float Your Boat. Rocks. Rocks, rocks, rocks. Welcome to the Float Your Boat podcast about how everyday people created their road to success. The highs, the lows, pitfalls and potholes and how they overcame it all. And now, here are your hosts. Welcome back everyone to another episode of Float Your Boat. You are... Brett Pattinson. And I am George Sabados. Now, Brett... George. Brett, we have a fascinating guy on today. I tracked a real weirdo down. By the how, name of Stephen Doggett. How the hell did you find this fellow? Long story, long story. I, I had uh, a pest control fellow come out to my place to uh, take care of a couple of issues I had. What, the children and your the wife? Ch- that's right. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Once he dragged them away, <laughs> I slept well that night. <laughs> but, but in the... In the oh, yeah, I don't think my wife and kids will appreciate that. But in the conversation, this fellow told me about... This little-known, world's leading expert on bedbugs called Stephen Doggett. Now, you wouldn't think it, but Australia has had a huge explosion of bedbugs in the last 10 to 15 years. And Stephen is actually the senior hospital scientist with the Department of Medical Endemology. Well, that was a mouthful. At Westmead Hospital. I take it he's got like 400 initials after his name. He does indeed. And, and he's also responsible for the creation of a national standard in dealing with bedbugs and soon to release a new book on bedbug, the history of bedbugs, I believe, but the title has yet to be determined. That'll come out in early 2018. I thought, I thought when you suggested this interview that it would be a fascinating interview because he really is truly 
passionate about bed bugs. A lover of bugs. Well, all bugs. I mean, and and I'm assuming it probably goes back to when he was a kid. Yes, but, um, they don't bug him. They, no bugs on him. No. Bugger off. So sh- <laughs> um, I, uh, yeah, I, I thought I thought this will be a fun interview and um, hopefully very informative as well. So let's get him in and, and uh, get him to tell us all about bed bugs. I can't wait. Let's do it. <laughs> okay. Welcome to our podcast, Stephen. Sorry, well, you're George and you're... Brett. Brett. Great yeah. <laughs> Which one? You can, you the good one is George. The ugly one's called Brett. You can call us whatever you okay. want. <laughs> thanks, Brett. <laughs> so, sorry. Well, well welcome. Uh, thanks for thanks for coming in. Now, now you posed a question to us when I initially made contact with you. A riddle. Yes, it's a riddle that I've been racking my brain over, Brett, and I haven't been able to um, uh, get the answer. But uh, what does Dmitry Shostakovich? Nero, Peter Ustinov, the Andrew sisters, and Red Simons have in common. And we've 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 benched this, we've tabled it, yes, we've, we have. we've uh, brainstormed passed it. Passed around the dinner table. I, I'm terribly disappointed with both of you guys, really. <laughs> what is the theme in this podcast? Bedbugs. Like... It's all about bedbugs. But why and what is this link? Is this something you want well, to know? I guess, I guess they all had... Uh, uh, bed bugs. Well, no, no, not quite. <laughs> well, let's start with Nero. Nero's an interesting character because he actually had two links with bed bugs. For a start, the bed in Roman times was called Electus. Yes. And the species name for the common bed bug, which is one of the species that has come back in a huge way in recent years, the species name is Cymex lectularius. So the species name lectularius is named after the Roman bed. But one author thought that Nero had bed bugs in his bed and he woke up one morning with all these bites over him, so frustrated through some sort of accelerant onto the bed, which caused Rome to burn. And so the burning of Rome is thought to be linked to bed bugs. Oh, I thought he blamed the bed bugs on the Christians. Oh, no, no. So we'll move on to Dmitry Shostakovich, one of the most famous Russian composers ever of classical music. So what was his link? Well, in 1928, there was actually a play that came out called The Klop. The Klop. The Klop. Klop is Russian for bedbug. And Dmitry Shostakovich actually wrote the musical score. And what The Klop was about was basically a critique of the communist era. And, of course, the communists didn't like this. And so what happened to the producer? Well, he ended up in the gulag. And interesting, one of the tortures at the time in the gulag was to fill a coffin full of bedbugs up, full of of bedbugs, and throw the person in there. And so, actually, he lasted a year. The the, the play was banned. And, in fact, the writer was actually, um, in the end, he was so depressed he committed suicide. So that's the link. Happy ending. Well... Probably for the communist era, so not so much <laughs> yeah, that's, that's <laughs> communist right. leaders at least. So we we'll move on to the Andrew Sisters. Of course, Andrew Sisters are famous. What is their most famous song? Rum and Coca Cola, which was, you know, very common and very big, a great hit during the war year. Now that was actually written by a fellow called Rupert Grant, and Rupert Grant also wrote another song called the Reincarnation. What was the Reincarnation about? It was about him being reincarnated as a bed bug to fight, uh, to bite, and to quote big fat women. <laughs> wow! That was his desire. So we'll move on to Peter Ustinov. Peter Ustinov, well, famous um, British actor, as we all know, but his father was actually a spy for the for, for the British Empire, and he was actually born in Russia, 
And one of his tasks was to gain secrets from prominent women in the, in the Russia, sort of Russian communist regime. And he would do this by betting them in the name of the king. And his wife, who was quite understanding about this, actually nicknamed him the Klopp and come back to before. Klopp is Russian for bedbug. And so Peter Yusinov's father's nickname was Klopp. And then finally we come to Red Simons. And Red Simons, we, we would remember from um, Hey Hey It's Saturday, but, but of course um, from, from Skyhooks. And I mentioned before the play The Clop. Well, that was actually reincarnated in the early 70s to mid-70s in a play um, um, called, um, it was called Bedbug um, Celebration. And it was based around that play, The Clop. And the musical score was written by Red Simons. And so all these disparate people across two centuries, well, two, two millennia, have this link to bedbugs. So I take it, I take it Stephen, that you... You're fascinated by bedbugs. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're one of the most extraordinary insects. And one reason why they're so extraordinary, Brett, is because in the last two decades, we've seen this global resurgence in bedbugs. Back in the, uh, the 40s and 50s, we thought we'd defeated bedbugs forever. And we thought we'd defeated them through one incredible incredible thing and that was a DDT and despite all the negative evidence about DDT and all the negative comments it did a lot of good it saved a lot of lives reduced malaria in many countries to almost zero but it was highly effective against bedbugs and it just wiped them out across the world where bedbugs were and so for 50 years, virtually, we hardly saw a bedbug infestation in Australia. We saw one or two, three or four. And then one thing about bed, um, sorry, DDT was that it was highly residual. So you could spray a surface and 25 years later, it'd be still 50% effective. And so it still worked for a long time against bedbugs. But then in the late 90s, we started hearing stories about bedbugs becoming a problem. And we thought, why well, isn't that strange? In fact, at Westmead Hospital, my partner works with me and she runs our um, pathology program for the identification of insects of medical importance. Back in 2003, she said, gee, we're seeing a lot of bedbugs lately. Oh, yeah, sure, right. And lo and behold, we looked through our records and we'd seen roughly a 500, no, it was a 700% increase over the previous four years compared to the four years prior. And I remember publishing a paper about 2003, another one about 2004. Then we did a big bedbug survey around 2005, which showed that infestations in Australia during the early part of the new millennium rose by about 4,000%. So a huge increase. And in, during the early parts of the noughties, bedbug infestations were rising at an exponential level. They were just going straight up. And um, at the time, um, back in about 70, uh, sorry, 2005, I wrote quite a large paper about bedbugs. It was something I just found fascinating. Prior to this, I knew very little about bedbugs, to be honest. Hmm. And um, I was asked to give a talk to the pest control industry. They asked me to write a paper. And some 70, 70 pages on, <laughs> I'd produced this document. And the pest control industry in Australia, the Australian Environmental Pest Management Association, came to me and said, we realise the pest control industry is doing a pretty bad job at controlling these bedbugs because these new bedbugs were totally different to the bedbugs of old. These new bedbugs were not like what our grandparents experienced. They were highly resistant to insecticides, highly resistant. 
And we know now that they've got thick skins, they have a range of enzymes that can break down any, almost any insecticide we can throw at them. And then they have these mutations that even block the actions of insecticides. So they're like politicians. <laughs> well, but you mean blood-sucking parasites? or <laughs> Well, thick-skinned. They have enzymes that break down any criticism. They've morphed. They've morphed. Uh, no, the blood-sucking parasites. I think my reason is more... Sorry to, sorry to throw that one in, Stephen. That's okay. You know, Stephen, I'm, I'm, uh, I can see how, that we, how we created these super bugs, super bed bugs, but, but um, how do you measure the increase in... The numbers of bed bugs. I mean, how do you? How do well, you it's do actually that? not that difficult. You survey, and so you ask the pest control industry. Oh, I see. How many bed bug treatments have you had in the last few years? And so we ran a survey back in 2006. And so just to go back a step, so I work with the pest control industry, the what's called AEPMA, the Australian Environmental Pest Management Association, to develop an industry standard to promote best practice in terms of eradication of active infestations and the management of potential infestations. And this is the code of practice for the control of bed bug infestations in Australia, and I'm the lead author. And we've actually had eight versions. It was the first industry standard in the world. Mm. Um, and um, other countries since have developed them, but many years after us. And so in the survey, we, we um, decided to develop this survey. One reason was to, to promote the code of practice. And so we asked a series of questions like, how many bed bugs um, have you been treating in the recent years? How many infestations? What type of pre pre premise you've been treating them in? Uh, what chemicals you're using? What um, non-chemical means you're using? And this gave a lot of information, particularly in terms of the actual degree of the resurgence, which was way beyond what we expected. But also showed that the pest control industry at the time really didn't have a clue about what to do. They were using silly means of control, silly means of detection, actually legal chemicals and so um, in Australia we've heard about um, the APVMA for controversial reasons how Barnaby Joyce is moving it um, to, to Lismore and um, but the APVMA is responsible for the registration of all insecticides and so they have a label um, and on the label has to be the insect pest and so we found a lot of the pest controllers very early in the researchers were using any chemicals because the chemicals that were registered at the time just didn't work. You spray these bed bugs, they basically stick their middle finger up at you and say, ha ha, try again. <laughs> um, literally. And, and we found that when we compared some of the modern strains to the very old strains that were highly susceptible, we're talking about a million fold difference in terms of concentrating the insecticide to kill these new ones. In fact, we had to get what's called technical grade insecticide, the pure insecticide, and it still wouldn't work. It still wouldn't kill these that, modern bed bugs. That couldn't be good for you, though. Well, no, you wouldn't actually apply it. So this is in laboratory environments where we're testing. So in the laboratory, we can do things for research and we handle the insecticides in a very careful way. Let's face it, we don't want to die. Mm. You might be surprised to know that. We don't want to die. We're just trying to kill the poor things that we're working on. Um, and so certainly the APVMA is responsible for determining the concentrations of insecticides that can be applied in the environment and the home environment. That's actually safe for all of us. And um, so in a laboratory situation, we want to see at what point do these bed bugs die, at what concentration we can expose these to. And so we'll use much higher concentrations than, than what's actually applicable to the label of the insecticide. But I'll, what, I'm, what I'm very interested in is 
how does how do you get bed bugs in the house? You know, like and and can they be seen? Oh yes, it's it's interesting, George. That one of the greatest misconceptions is that bed bugs are invisible, but they're not. They're quite obvious, particularly in the adult stage. Now. The young are quite small, so there's five juvenile stages that we call nymphs or instars. The first instar is only about a millimetre, and it's sort of like an off, off-white cream sort of colour, mm-hmm. and a bit hard to tell. But the adult bed bug is about the size of an apple seed and not dissimilar in colour. And there's an interesting story here about, about the size apple, of seed. An apple seed. About the size of an apple seed. Well, but when visible. they're fully engorged, full of blood... They're about a centimetre long, and so they're quite obvious. Wow, a centimetre long. Yes, but often, Ooh. but often um, when when you um, you don't actually necessarily look for live bed bugs in the infestation, you look for their signs. And one of the most obvious signs is their poop. And bed bugs are gregarious. They like to hang about together. They're like you know you you, you two together. You seem to sit two inches <laughs> yeah. apart. Yes, but so, we don't know, poop together. Well, I'm, I'm not sure about that. <laughs> oh, mate. Well, that's a fair point. Lucky, lucky mine doesn't stink, huh? Uh, you probably want a second opinion on that, uh, Brett. Um, the studio is very small. <laughs> but what you actually look for, because they hang around together, they poop together and they often poop over each other. And so we look for the spotting, the bed bug spotting, the fecal traces. And so you... It tends to be in, in groups, and it's often the most obvious things. In fact, I was in a hotel up in Cairns only a couple of weeks ago, and the first thing I do when I go to a hotel is I pull back the bedding, pull back the sheets, mm-hmm. pull the bed away from the wall, and you look for the telltale spotting, actually, particularly on on the mattress close to the wall and low down. And I pulled the sheets back, and I saw this isolated spot, and I thought, hmm, that's a bit strange, and I thought... But it made me sort of want to investigate more. So I pulled everything apart and lo and behold, there was actually spotting all around the mattress. And it was interesting when I booked a hotel, I actually wrote, I want a room with no bed bugs. And they gave me a room with bed bugs. And here's a tip for listeners, you know, if you want to actually get a bit of legal action going and get a room with bed bugs and you've asked for a room without bed bugs, then they that could be a, a good excuse Gives for a lawyer. Gives you a bit of, le- a bit, a bit of leverage does. when you want a discount. And it was actually a US <laughs> lawyer who told me to do that. Right. So I've had legal advice. Now, Australia, we're not particularly light, um, litigious, whereas in the US there's been cases involving millions of dollars um, over bed bugs where people have had chronic bed bug problems or, or, or staying in a hotel have actually sued. So but it's what, a big legal problem in so, the US. So... I, I, most people would assume that, like nits or other bugs, bed bugs come about from poor hygiene. hygiene. Is that the, is that the case? Or yes and no. Yes and no. Um, certainly, if you've got poor hygiene in conjunction with bed bugs, it can make the problem worse. But it's not necessarily linked into how you get them. And so, how you pick up the bed bugs? Well. If we go back to the Stahler resurgence, it was largely where we saw bed bugs tend to be in in accommodation with high turnover of guests and large number of guests. And we tended to see it more in backpacking um, lodges and in hotels, particularly hotels in a city or around airport. Airport hotels can be a high risk. And um, what happens is that people go somewhere, they stay somewhere which is infested, 
the bed bugs walk into their luggage and then they take them home or they go to another hotel and pass it on. Once bed bugs are in a hotel or in say an apartment complex or in say um, um, low income housing, then they can spread to adjoining apartments. And often in low-income housing, one of the biggest problems we find is that people often don't have the money to pay for control. Bedbug control is really expensive, and this is a big problem that we face. And often we have people with cognitive issues that are not even aware bedbugs are present or don't care. And if you have um, somebody who's a hoarder with bedbugs, absolutely a nightmare to control. But once you have a situation like that, somebody who can't control them or have cognitive issues, then the bedbugs the infestation can develop into hundreds to thousands to ten, ten thousands to even hundreds of thousands of bed bugs. And I've seen infestations like that. At that point, bed bugs will just spread throughout the whole complex. And there's apartment complex in the US for low income housing where there may be 400 units. And I know of one complex where there's actually three lots of um, units of about 400 units each where literally every single apartment's become infested, some over a thousand apartments. One of the interesting things is that one researcher did something really smart. They actually looked at the genetics of this. And the genetics showed that all of these infestations can be linked back to one bed bug. So one bed bug, one female, started off this 1,000 infestations across multiple apartments. I, I take it they're prolific breeders. Well they're, well, they're actually quite slow to breed, and that's one of the problems. Um, they're a very long-lived insect. If you look at a mosquito, um, a mosquito adult of seven days is getting old. Seven or ten days is old. Two weeks is very old. Bed bugs will actually live at, um, say, this temperature we are in now, around 22 degrees, for about um, up to about six months. So they're quite slow. And the developmental cycle is quite slow. It takes about two months from egg to egg. And you may start off with a... a an adult female comes in, lays some eggs, she, she dies, the nymphs um, hatch out, the first instars. You get some bites and you may not think about it. You know, oh, it must be mozzies outside or sand flies or something else. And so it can take time for that link between the bedbug bites and actually bedbugs. And there's, amongst the medical literature, there's a lot of records about misdiagnosis, where people are being diagnosed with scabies, complex sort of syndromes, and people have received multiple treatments of, of themselves, antibiotic treatments, and all sorts of treatments. And I remember one case of um, one child who was having these horrendous bedbug bites, but nobody knew what they were. And the, the, her, the, the doctor was treating the child for all sorts of things, giving all sorts of medicine. And it was only when the child actually had a cold and the mother went in at night just to see how the child was going and then noticed this insect walking across the pillow and it was a bed bug. And once you actually identify the cause of these bites, you're well on the way to actually resolving the problem. But the problem with this insecticide resistance this is a problem why bed bug control is so expensive. They're damn hard to get rid of. And so most of the chemicals, if we look at all those chemicals registered on the market, 90 to 95% of them just don't, don't work. work very well. And because they don't work very well, and, and one of the problems we found initially, some, some of the pest controllers would go in and use only chemicals and they would fail. And they wouldn't realise they would fail. And one thing we keep emphasising is, emphasizing within our code of practice is that you have to always go back and check mm. check to see it's worked and so 
We recommend what's called an integrated pest management approach. And simply that means is you use other things other than chemicals. And so in the case of bed bugs, we can go in with a vacuum. And so you've got this huge bed bug infestation, thousands of bed bugs. You mm. run a back vacuum over there, you can remove 95% of them very quickly. And that leaves very few. We can then follow up with steam. And we can use other forms of control um, other than chemicals and finally use chemicals as a last resort once we've done those other measures. And then once you've done the control program, you, you go back and check it. And you may have to do another control until you've actually eradicated the infestation. And sometimes this may involve seven or so treatments in huge infestations. But if it's an apartment complex, what you've got to do is inject the, inspect the adjoining room. Mm. The, not only side to side, but above and below, and even across corridors. We know bedbugs will walk across corridors. And if you've got a big infestation, it's a huge problem. And now, a word from our sponsors. This is about the 400th take, listeners. <laughs> this is our, uh, this is our um, for a male sponsor, Mungrel Joes. Yes, Mungrel Joes. So, hey, Brett, what keeps you going? I'm not sure what you're implying. I don't like where your mind's going with this one, Brett, but uh, without getting personal, there are many times I need a hit, and not from a bus. What keeps me going is a steaming hot cup of coffee, and not just any coffee. Ah, you must be talking about Mungrel Joe's. Yeah, our proud sponsor. Yes, that deep, rich, tasty and fulfilling coffee that perks you up, puts lead in your pencil, makes you glisten and puts hairs on your chest. But what does it do for men? Boom, boom. <laughs> it brings out the mongrel in you. <laughs> God, seriously, folks. Seriously, folks. Mungrel Joe's. That's my line. No, That's your line. <laughs> Mungrel Joe's is the best taste experience ever it's 100 percent australian and not only is it a performance coffee it's strong and smooth like me of course george <laughs> it's the greatest coffee on earth the world's greatest coffee is it really <laughs> <laughs> yes it is jump online at mongreljoes.com.au and give it a shot excuse the pun no 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 you didn't have to say that well it's you printed it on the page you're george. on you're on fire brent I am on. We fire. could have scratched that out. And just for our listeners to put, put it, put in a discount code, float your boat, and you will get a special discount on your first order. Remember that it's float your boat. One word. If you love coffee, you should try Mungle Joe's. I'm telling you, folks. Aside from this great script that George wrote, <laughs> and it was so obvious you were reading it. <laughs> yes, George, it was. <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> listeners, Mungrel Joe's, it's, it's the best. Can, can, we, can I ask you a question? How, when, were you... A young child when you got interested in bugs? Well, the term... I mean, how did you get to... Because yeah. I can tell you're passionate about bugs now. He's pulling... Well, I have to correct you off lizards. I've got to correct you here, Brett, because the term bug actually refers to a certain groups of insects. Right, okay. and And this actually comes back to bed bugs. Right. The term bug was actually first used for bed bugs. And oh, so right. the term bug, if we go back in the lexicon in the English dictionary, actually meant spirit. And people were bitten during the night and thought it was some spirit bite in them. 
Ah. And so they called bed bugs bugs. Oh. Now, but now we use the term bug for insects. Everything. We use it for microbes. <laughs> and, and so to go on to your question, because I keep diverting away from anything you ask me. No, that, 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 that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Why did I get involved with insects? Well, even when I was a child, I was fascinated in natural history. And so I had books on snakes and spiders. You know, why? I don't know. I just found it fascinating. It's your thing, yeah. yeah. And um, even when I, I was a kid, you know, the first thing I can remember, the first job I wanted when I was a child was I wanted to be a scientist in the biological field. And I think I was the only person at school that ended up doing what I actually wanted to do. And when I went to university, I, I um, it was a bit vague about what I wanted to do. I think most people at you know, university yeah. is a bit like that. I was initially enrolled in science education, but I don't like children. They scare the willies out of me. I didn't like teaching. And then I did a subject on insects, and I fell in love with it. Hmm. And, I, and I did very well in it. And um, in fact, the um, um, lecturer actually employed me in a job later on, just a, a year or so afterwards. And I was hooked. And initially, I was looking after insect cultures. Um, I think I was paid, I think I was employed for nine hours a week, but I think I spent about 100 hours per week in a facility doing everything beyond what I was actually asked to do. I was testing insecticides, developing a chamber to develop insecticides. And then I got asked, um, um, I was asked um, by somebody at Sydney University, the former, my, my former boss actually at Westmead Hospital, to do some work on mosquitoes. And that was 1985. And I haven't moved since. And so I've been working on mosquitoes, but in that time I've worked on ticks. And bed bugs have been a big thing since it, um, you know, it's an opportunistic thing. We saw this issue in the laboratory because we have this pathology service for the identification of insects of medical importance. And suddenly I just fell in love with bed bugs. And bed bugs are fascinating in so many ways. Um, and it's interesting how, if we go back, say, a century, it's it's amazing to think about 70% of homes in Britain were infested with bedbugs. If we go back 100 years, we you know, bedbugs were part of our life, but so were, were things like head lice. Scabies were common. Pubic lice were common, but pubic lice were another story. They'd been disappearing in recent years due to habitat destruction. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, I was going to say with the, uh, the advent of, um, uh, waxing. of waxing and <laughs> lasering, the full Brazilian look has been, uh, as I say, this this is very deforestry, sad. Deforestation's um, killing the, oh, that can't killing be good, the industry. Right? Oh, no. this Deforestation is, can't be good. As I say, we're seeing a species going to extinction. Who knows what secrets this Poor old pubic lice may have to the future. It may and, and hold. Who knows? And who knows what flow-on effect it has? Exactly. So it may have the secrets to common cold, to cancer, to climate change. So if any of you um, listeners out there wish to join my efforts to save the species, um, <laughs> <laughs> go through George and Brett for my contact details. <laughs> so I'm sure we'll have a few. <laughs> so, so Stephen, tell us a, a few more fascinating, you know, interesting things about bed bugs well well i i initially um when you contacted me i i suggested that um there's this interesting link between bed bugs and the movie psycho and we all know the the most famous scene is the shower scene from psycho exactly where norman bates stabs um um i think it's marion marion crane if i remember Mm. rightly and I suggested this was actually bedbug porn. This is quite arousing potentially for bedbugs. It's pretty weird, actually, Stephen. Please explain. <laughs> oh well, I have to explain it, of course, uh, of course, George. 
Now, bedbugs have this most extraordinary sexual behaviour, this mating behaviour that's called traumatic insemination. And it sounds very, very traumatic. <laughs> Don't go there, George. Oh, we are going See, there. Don't We're forget, going there, Brett. Don't forget George's Greek and him and goats have a, you know, you know say no more. Sounds like uh, some of the recipients. <laughs> Okay, we'll leave your private sort of circumstances away from this uh, little discussion, oh, George. George, go and oh, sit in the Stephen, corner. We are talking about bedbugs, are we not? <laughs> so, bedbugs have this fascinating uh, mating ritual or mating system called traumatic insemination. So the male penis is like this huge knife. It's this massive knife, this sharpened, almost scythe, if you like, if you know what that is. So this yeah. big, big... George, in the corner. Go on. And the thing about bedbugs, you know, when when he wants to get the ladies, it's not only flowers, chocolate, romance rubbish. He just grabs her and he gets this huge knife and just stabs it into her abdomen and then basically ejaculates and then the little spermies makes their way to the girly parts and it produces eggs. What, anywhere in the abdomen? Well, it depends. There's no particular location. Well, actually, that's a good question, George, because... Bedbugs belong to a family of insects called the Semicidae, and there's an evolution of traumatic dissemination. The primitive bedbugs are exactly like that. They stab them anywhere. So the more advanced bedbugs, what we call the bedbugs that we know now... The superbugs. Um, the superbugs, the millennial bug, hmm. um, actually has a spot in the abdomen where it's actually concentrated. And, he, and she basically guides that big knife in at that one spot. This is really interesting. And one of the problems in with this method, well, there's several problems. One, if you get mated too many times, you can die. You get stabbed to death. <laughs> but the other thing is that it introduces George bacteria. <laughs> You can say it doesn't. You you uh, you're killing him. I'm not doing traumatic insemination to him. Was, I'm sorry, Brett. That that's I'm not killing him that way. Uh, that's not a very favourable evolutionary trait. <laughs> I think that's a fair comment. But what's actually happened in terms of evolution with this is fascinating because the females have developed this spot for it to go to, and then she's developed all these systems to overcome the introduction of bacteria to that spot. And the other thing that she's developed is this highly elastic sort of membrane which the male penis goes through. And this membrane is considered the most elastic substance on Earth. And I believe why it's evolved is that as the male penis goes in, just think of it, it probably just cleans it off. And so there's less bacteria introduced. And, and, but there's also an issue here that I, I mentioned about apple seeds before and how bedbugs are about the size of an apple seed. You wave an apple seed in front of a male bedbug, you'll try to mate with it. Really? And, and it does it on visual cue. And so if you're a male bedbug, you don't particularly want a male bedbug mating with you. And the male bedbug doesn't want to mate with a male bedbug because it's a waste of sperm. It's a waste of energy, waste of resources. And for a male bedbug to be mated by a male bedbug, it could get, get stabbed to death. It could die. And that's the same with a baby. Bedbugs. He doesn't want to be baited by its father or, or grandfather or uncles because it could die. So they'll just go for anything. Is that what you're saying? They will. But what they bedbugs have done is that the males and the, the juveniles basically release this perfume, this pheromone, saying, hey, 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 I'm a male. There's no need to mate with me, you know. Um, don't touch Move me. On. And the yeah. baby won't say, hey, you know, I'm, I'm not into this, you know. I'm, so there's no pedophilia amongst bedbugs. Right? Are, they, are they blind? No, they've got very well, well, well 
developed eyes, which is sort of interesting. The eyesight's not great, but it's reasonable. But it's interesting because I knew you were about to ask this. Where did bed bugs evolve from? Because yes. I could see that on the tip of your tongue. Well, well of course. And so, but, but we can go back and you can understand why bedbug porn, psycho is bedbug porn with this sort of stabbing. It's almost reminiscent, I'm reminiscent the, of traumatic I'm, insemination. I'm hoping the authorities don't come in and confiscate your computer soon with all this porn going on, <laughs> Stephen. Well, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. The insect police. Going back in history, bedbugs caused insanity for some people. Well, actually, it's, it has also in modern times as well, right. Brett. In fact, there's a very famous case of, um, very sad case of somebody actually committing suicide over bedbugs. And they do cause a lot of stress to people. And, um, and, then, and they're a major cause of anxiety. And I mentioned before about um, our new bedbug text coming out. And we've actually got a whole chapter about bedbugs and mental health. And um, we find... Mental health impacts varies very much across um, society in different societies. So in Australia, we you know we're brought up with snakes, spiders, sharks. You know, face it. If let's face it, if we make it a twenty-one, it's a bloody miracle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And we taught from a young age. And so, bedbugs for us aren't yeah. such a major mental trauma compared to say the US, where they're a very urbanised society and they're not used to natural to so the natural world. And um, in the U.S., basically, if they get bed bugs, you know, the the thing about the U.S., if something happens to them, they want to sue somebody. That's a face. Whereas mm. we're a bit more amenable. Of, in the case of the Asians, they tend to work together, and that they don't sue. Mm. Um, but it's a huge mental health problem, particularly in the U.S., and and um, causes a lot of anxiety. There's been breakup of a relationship. People have been dismissed from work. I know of one case. It's an <laughs> interesting case. Um, in, in actually Sydney, of um, this girl who was badly bitten by bedbugs, and she lost her job because she had so many bar marks over her body. And the reason why she lost her job was because she had to show a lot of her body as part of this job. She was actually in the adult industry. Ah, <laughs> yes. Not so, good if you're a pole dancer. Well, it was a bit more than that. It was some, some <laughs> films that she was doing. And, and so, right. you know, if you, if you look like Typhoid Mary, then you probably wouldn't <laughs> yeah, want to have uh, any personal relationship with it. In fact, this was a problem we had with the uh, staff accommodation at one of the hospitals. One of the nurses was so badly bitten, she just was covered in hives across her whole body. And so she couldn't treat patients. Thanks very much for coming in You're and welcome. telling us about bed bugs. It's a fascinating subject. Thank you, Stephen. Now I'm going to go check. They don't light up using a UV light, do they? Well, interesting you say that. In fact, one of the methods for detection is actually using UV. We can um, use that to actually light up the spotting. I've never actually tried it, to be honest, um, George, but give it a go. I will give it a go. You've got me going now. And just to finish off, Stephen, I asked, uh, oh, as we ask every guest, to pick a song oh, at yes. the end, because we like to, to trail out with a song. And I, I have to say that your two songs surprised me somewhat. Well, I'm disappointed you didn't want my first song. Which is Nib, which is Black Sabbath. And, and there's a line in there about, um, my name is Lucifer, please shake my hand, which seems to be such a parallel for bedbugs that when people are bitten, they almost feel they've been shaking their hands with devil. And so I'm terribly disappointed. Well, no, in actual fact, all right, I'm going to break the mould here and we're going to play Black Sabbath's NIB. NIB. To finish today's episode. <laughs> oh, wow. Thank and, wow. And so to shake your hand, 
My name is Lucifer. <laughs> Thank you, Stephen. Thank you, Stephen. Thank you, Brett. Thank you, George. It's a pleasure.